This is an AMI podcast. I think that our service model is actually very different from from what is uh, offered. And I think that's good because blind people need options. I always say it's about choice, right? Real independence is about choice. It's about choosing your destiny. And, and blind people have had very too little choice in this country for too long. Welcome to Triple Vision. I'm David Best, your host. And in this episode, we are moving beyond the governance challenges of CNIB providing services. Peter Field and Hannah Levitt have a couple of guests with us who are going to share their experiences in providing alternative solutions to the community. And Peter, I think maybe this might open a door of dialogue for our listeners to send us suggestions on their ideas of a governance model that will provide services with more dignity and independence than what we've had experienced. So why don't you go ahead and introduce your guests for today? Sure, David. Thank you. As you said, we are moving towards what we're calling solutions. So we spent some time on issues and now we're looking ahead to solutions. And we think our two guests have some solutions and alternatives for us today. So welcome to Triple Vision, Elizabeth and Deborah. I'm going to go from west to east in terms of the two of you introducing yourselves. So Elizabeth, I'll start with you. My name is Elizabeth Lalonde, and I live in Victoria, British Columbia. I was born blind, uh, eye condition called retinitis pigmentosa, and I'd always, um, throughout my life, realized that there was very limited services for uh, blind and low vision people in, in Canada. And I, as I grew older, I discovered that there were many more training options in other countries. I ended up going to the Louisiana Centre for the Blind and trained uh, under their model. And I came back and founded the Pacific Training Centre for the Blind back in 2011. Great. Thank you, Elizabeth. Deborah. Hi, I'm Deborah Gold. I'm the Executive Director at Balance for Blind Adults in Toronto, Ontario. I came to the organization seven years ago and Prior to that, I worked at C- the, the, the former CNIB, before it was the foundation, um, in the national office uh, for 16 years. So I've been working in this field for 23 years of my career. I have a doctorate that uh, is a, focuses on social inclusion of people with disabilities from Syracuse University. And uh, that's a little bit about me. Really, when we're talking about solutions today, we're focusing today on rehab services. So we spent some time talking to the foundation a couple of weeks ago, and, and today we're focusing on rehab services. So, Elizabeth, can you tell us a little bit about the Pacific Training Center for the Blind and the services that you offer? We provide uh, what we call non-visual training, blindness skills services to blind deafblind and low vision people. We provide a range of uh, different uh, lengths and times that, that people can come. Um, we've, we just are finishing a pilot where we had an immersion program where we had eight, uh, eight students come and actually uh, live at, at uh, quarters on what we call a campus and um, learn the, the skills for 10 months. Um, it can take a, to really learn what we call blindness immersion, where you really learn the non-visual skills such as Braille, adaptive technology, learning how to travel with a long white cane, uh, organizational skills, cooking, cleaning. There's so many uh, skills that, that we, can, we teach. We 
all of our teachers are blind, uh, which is another part of our model. Our program is called Blind People in Charge. And I love that metaphor because essentially it's about blind people taking charge of their own lives. And it's also about blind people actually being in charge of the the training process, too. Do you accept students from out of province, or are you um, specifically a, a BC-based No, we, we do accept students from out of province. We're in a bit of a restructuring mode right now. Um, mm-hmm. So right now in Victoria, we're um, doing, for the next few months, we're going to be focusing on more local students, but we're building up, uh, like I said, we did a pilot immersion program, and we want to continue to do that, but we're going to be building back up to providing that on a more full-scale basis, because the it's so needed. There's there's right. people on wait lists. It's actually quite incredible, the need out there. You're the founder of the organization. Mm-hmm. Um, why did you establish it? What I, was your motivation? Yes. Well, it's a passion of mine. I learned about the organizations in, this, in the United States, for example, um, the National Federation of the Blind, and I was sort of kind of bowled over by some of the things they were doing in the States, and I was sort of shocked because you know, you don't think of always the states, their public health, they don't really have a public health system, but they have a, a, a public rehabilitation system where, where funding is actually provided for people to have all sorts of alternatives for, for getting rehabilitation. And one of the, the models I really took to because it was empowering and there were blind teachers and I was like, wow, there's blind, blind people teaching cane travel. And, and, I, and I, that really shouldn't be shocking, but it's only in the last few years that you know, blind people at one point were told they couldn't be cane travel instructors, for example, because it wasn't safe. Um, and that that was appalling to me. So that the model that they were using at these federation centers just really appealed to me. So we need something like this in Canada, at least something like this anyway, because we didn't really have anything that was group based or where people could stay, you know, for for a few months. You don't learn to use a cane overnight. You know, you can't just you don't just lose your sight and then all of a sudden, oh, I'm doing everything all at once. It's, it's, it's a process. And it's, it really helps to have the support of other blind people who are going through the same thing too. Cause that, that's part of our model is the skills are one thing, but it's also about adjusting to, to, to blindness and, and how you feel about being blind. And we do a lot of discussions about that too, to help people. I think that our service model is actually very different from, from what is offered. And I think that's good because blind people need options. I always say it's about choice, right? The real independence is about choice. It's about choosing your destiny. And and blind people have had very too little choice in this country for too long. And there's, we, we use a model called structured discovery. And that's kind of an academic term, but that's the model that we use. And it's about problem solving, teaching people how to use landmarks, for example, in, in the environment. Um, so the sound of traffic, the, the feel of the sun on your face, is, it, is, it, is the sun on your left side, on your right side, is it in front of you? Are the cars going one way on the street or do you hear them going two ways? If they're only going one way, it could be a one-way street and that might give you an indication you know, of what street you're on. So we, we right. teach, and those skills, they, don't, they, take, they take a long time to really integrate into your psyche and then of course to learn them and then to actually be able to use them efficiently is a process and it's it's just the most amazing thing is to watch someone come into the center at first and maybe not be able to navigate even indoors on their own to when they leave 
10 months later, being able to actually go out and there, the, the, the feeling of, of in, in independence and, and accomplishment is just, I feel it on them, you know. And of course, we only do these things when we feel a student's ready. So, Deborah, can you talk about balance and, and how it offers services and is how it might be an alternative to what we've seen in other places? So, balance for blind adults started serving people in 1986. Uh, so, like, I don't know what that is, over 35 or 36 years ago, maybe more. We were started extremely small um, as a residential program, a, a li- not quite like what Elizabeth is describing as an alternative to fill a gap uh, that was being felt in the community. And the woman who started it, Susan Gamage, the the vision was to support people within an apartment building setting. And there was only, it was 10 adults at that time who would be helped through every aspect of everyday living. Somewhere between 10 and 15 years after it began, it evolved into helping people more with inclusion in the community. Our current Vision is really for an open world for persons with sight loss. We are Toronto-focused, so city-focused in the direct services that we provide. I can talk a little bit about our upcoming strategic plan, which is uh, looking beyond the city. We are very whole-person-focused. So what Mark sets us apart, and this was became clear as we had new members join the board who commented on that's what they saw and that they see us as focused on the whole person. We just, for example, went through the accreditation process and the response from the accreditors was, you know, we see a lot of services that say they're client-centered. At Balance, we see that you're actually uh, living it. You, you, It's the way things look. So from our policies um, to the way in which we interact with clients. So let's start first with the range of services we offer, which are kind of our evidence of thinking about people as as whole people who also have sight loss um, and often other complex needs. Balance is quite well known for working with people and, and being open to working with people who have complex needs. And Vision Loss Rehab Ontario refers to us and has historically referred to us um, or sent people to us, I guess is the best way to put it, um, when they might not be able to meet people's needs so that's one example. But in terms of the range of programs we uh, have for about, I've been here seven years, and for six of those years, we've offered mental health supports. So that means that we have a counselor um, on staff who has is blind herself, a social worker with a counseling background. When I arrived, she was doing something else. I was, we started, started questioning like, well, this is what you're good at, right? You already do this thing for your profession. We should have you doing what you're good at. And it's something probably our community could use. So mental health supports a big part of what we supply, uh, what we have available for our clients. We do not limit the amount of time we spend with clients in any of our appointments from technology lessons uh, to certified orientation and mobility services, our adaptive daily living skills instruction etc. None of that is, I mean, we do set, we do have maximums based on people getting tired and not able to learn anymore, but we don't 
if somebody needs to be with us or return to us, there's no cutoff. There's no, these, this is the number of sessions you get. And then that's it. You're with us for as long as you need us. We have our values, our trust, empathy, respect, inclusion, and independence. And in terms of inclusion and independence, this is another example of thinking about people as people first and having the right to participate fully in their communities and as independently as possible. So uh, we work all these values. Our, all of our programming is based on those values. And people start with us with their goals of what it is they would like to achieve. And we work towards those goals together. We have a strong focus on something called community engagement uh, services. This is the piece that sees the person uh, as a person. And Community engagement services will help people. We help people with resources within the community. What can they access? What should they know about? Where is the information? Why is this form on the Service Ontario site not accessible? How can we help you get it so that it is? How do we help you apply for wheel-trans? How do we, you want to go to your local gym, how do we help the gym understand how best to accommodate? Mm. Let's go do this together. So typically rehabilitation services have been offered by what I would characterize as a kind of a medical model, right? The medical model of disability, which is we are the medical or the rehabilitation professional and we know what you need and we know what you want. And, um, you know, that's what we're going to give you. It sounds to me that both of you are subscribing to a different model than that. Can you comment on that, Deborah and then Elizabeth? Well, I would say that we we subscribe to the social model of disability. We're not a consumer-led um, organization. We do value and promote, aim for 50% or more participation on our board from people who are uh, blind or partially sighted. And we're just starting a plan to try to involve um, more people who actually are recipients of service. Uh, so... I would say, though, when you talk about models of service to people with disabilities, that balance subscribes to the social model. However, we might see elements, or you might see looking at us, elements of medical model. For example, we do have case notes and we do chart uh, mm. our lessons in a client relations management system. You know, every model is not just a set model with boxes around it that says this is how it looks. It's a continuum in many ways. Mm -hmm. And I would say, though, the social model says that people are disabled by barriers in society mm -hmm. so and not by their impairment or difference. And I would say that balance definitely looks at it very much in this way. How do we help you overcome these barriers? At the same time, we do see that people who are blind or partially sighted, like Elizabeth was describing earlier, have needs to adapt um, and to learn how to negotiate that sighted world or new technology that's changing all the time and needs to be learned in order to access information. How about you, Elizabeth? Yes, I'm listening to, to Deborah, and actually I, I believe that Balance and Pacific Training Centre probably have more in common than not. Um, we, we also operate on a, on a continuum and focus on, on as much as we promote um, certain learning outcomes and group-based learning, we also focus on the individual, you know, as a whole holistic person. I was really listening to, to Deborah's description of that, and I thought that was really interesting and really, um, really great how, how you were describing that. 
I'm actually working on my master's degree right now in community development at the University of Victoria. And I'm going to be, I'm developing my thesis topic and it's actually going to be on this topic of, of blindness rehabilitation models. And I'm going to be comparing the different models that exist or that at least I, I see exist. And um, one of them is more the, the, the really um, hardcore vision vision um, rehabilitation medical model of blindness that has traditionally been provided in Canada. And then I, I feel there is sort of a middle ground and, and perhaps what Deborah's describing is, is more the middle ground where you, where you have elements of, of, of each, each model and, and it works to, it still works to really empower, empower blind people. So, um, and then there's the, third model i'm just i'm just sort of these are these are kind of arbitrary i'm i'm with with the way i'm demarc demarcating these but the way the third is more i guess what the pacific trading center is providing and it's very uh yeah led by people with lived experience it's what i would call a social model of disability also an asset assets model of disability so we as well as seeing uh disability as created more by society and the, and the barriers that society puts in our way. It's also about how disability and, and blindness specifically is perceived in, in society and perceived by people and even by blind people ourselves. Sorry, Peter, can I just interject? It's Deborah. Go just ahead, Deborah. Models are great theoretically, and they work for things like they work well for master's theses and yes. for PhD programs. And for if you go online for it, you'll see the research. There are theoretical concepts, but they're not always the reality when you encounter a service or a you know a support a program, medical, social, economic, uh, advocacy. You know. The social identity model, charity model, is, is that which you've discussed in your previous, I think, three episodes yep. of the podcast, the charity model. They're great, but they don't describe everything that's going on. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's it's very, always... very true. And and everybody is different. And and sometimes we end up using a little bit of everything. It's a great way to think about things and to, and to help us classify and to help us understand better. However, once we look at the actual implementation of a program, uh, I would say there was no conscious decision on the part of the founders of Balance, and nor has there been a conscious decision since to be to exist within a certain model um, or to not exist within maybe there was more even more of a conscious decision to not exist within mm. a certain model um a sort of a an alternative approach to what did exist uh, but at this point i would say it's more about what is our philosophy and how do we play it out in everything that we do with the people who come to us for help for me that gets to the question of choice which is what i wanted to come to and i, I think is at the heart of the discussion which is we wanted you on um, because what we heard in the other four podcasts uh, from consumers in, in particular is they them feeling that there's not enough choice in Canada, that if you need rehabilitation services or basically any services, you're kind of asked to go to one place. Uh, that Canada being such a large country geographically with a small population choice is difficult, 
So can you comment on that and how important choice is? Yeah, great question. I, I would say that if you look at the list of programs and services on our website, you'll see there are places where we definitely offer the same thing as Vision Loss Rehab Ontario. Vision Loss Rehab Ontario being the provincial division of Vision Loss Rehab Canada, uh, which was not an organization that you talked about in those three episodes I listened to. Um, even though CNIB is the oversight organization and Vision Loss Rehab Canada is one of their family of, of, uh, of companies, let's say, uh, it's, it's important to, to name where we may duplicate and where we uh, differ. I hope that one day that we, we won't be in a place where we're in comparison, but maybe we always will be. Choice is ideal. I would say that in this country, it is it is impossible in some places in the country to to for people who are blind or partially sighted to have that choice. I think we've just got time for maybe one more question. Hannah, was there a question you wanted to ask? Just wanted to comment on how we've lived with sort of a templated model of rehabilitation to present. And now we're kind of, you know, thanks to organizations like Balance and the PTC, we're kind of, uh, you know, pushing that old templated model of rehab a little bit more. Where do you guys, where do you, Elizabeth, do you, is there something you personally would like to accomplish? What we can do at, at the PTC on such limited funding is pretty, you know, phenomenal actually uh, based, but if we had more funds, core funds, we could do uh, so much more. And that's, the, I really feel like the sky's the limit is for us, but we can't do it without the funding. And that, that honestly is one of our biggest barriers. How about you, Deborah? Working at Balance is very exciting. Uh, we learned a lot through the pandemic. And I, I, you know, I'm very proud of the way we pivoted in four days. So we were really the first organization uh, serving blind people in North America to, to be able to continue service. I was online with people from all over the states working in organizations. It took months for many of them to get um, so that they could provide service again. We never stopped. So we took our orientation and mobility instructors and we we redeployed them as, as telephone support people. We instituted a telesupport program by Wednesday following the closure in Toronto on the Friday, March 16th we, or 13th. We were open the following week and we began our telesupport. And this included things like food insecurity, uh, prescriptions, um, we counseling, listening. We brought on more staff. We we serve far more clients in that year and a half than we actually do nor in a regular year. So when you talk about what more do we want to do, I think we're kind of doing it and we're excited about the kinds of ways in which we've gone beyond that basic uh, type of thing that in a way I arrived to, the basic definition one might have of rehabilitation services for people who are blind. And the community engagement piece was there. We've also well expanded that. We now have an AT apprenticeship program, for example, that we started in November of 2020, and it's grown since. We have four apprentices now. We've graduated three. These are uh, blind or partially sighted people who take our 250-hour program. It's a mix of learning and and delivery of instructions. So we hire them, we pay them for those hours. Inclusion needs to be enacted 
which means we have to actually do it. We have to say, there are employment service providers. We don't need to be another one. What we need to do is say to those employment service providers, here are some people who really want to work, and we have taken them through our our workshop for pre-employment skills and abilities, and that includes a heavy emphasis on technology access and learning new forms of assistive technology, as well as other soft skills related to pre-employment. But we, and then we're going to help you, the community employment service provider, some of whom specialize in people with disabilities, but still seem to have need to learn a lot. And that's the path that Balance is taking now. This is really the start of a conversation. I mean, there's so many paths we could take here. So many things that we could talk about. But uh, in the meantime, I want to thank you for joining us and taking your valuable time to talk to us and listeners about the different services that you're providing. Okay, great conversation. It would appear to me that we seem to have a major problem in providing rehabilitation services for blind Canadians in a manner in which they are most comfortable with. There are some local community services, but they seem to struggle with resources and reaching out to a larger group of people. Yet, in Canada, we have one of the world's best healthcare systems, but unfortunately, it seems to be unable to provide the options and choices that blind Canadians need to receive the kind of rehabilitation services they like, and with dignity that they deserve. So, Peter, what is your thoughts on this conversation? What I'm most struck by is when we were looking into this podcast, we really wanted to get into the idea of choice and the, you know, we really thought there's not a whole lot of choice and you kind of have to look around to find uh, places like Balance and the Pacific Training Center. But there really is choice and power in that choice. And I was really struck by how important that is. Um, One of the things that we really just got into at the very end was the idea of providing individuals with their own funds and going out and purchasing, you know, their rehab services or other services from wherever they want to go. That does exist in Canada, particularly with respect to people with physical disabilities, but doesn't... um, doesn't exist right now, I don't think, for people with sight loss. So, Hannah, what do you think? Yeah, absolutely. I I thought that idea of funding where we would all have access to certain amounts of funding, to, like you say, to make our own choices, uh, rather than just accept, like I said earlier, a templated model of services. I feel really hopeful learning more about balance and about the PTC, that they are kind of pushing, you know, the limits of what blindness rehabilitation means in Canada. And perhaps, you know, their innovations will affect, you know, the types of services that, uh, you know, another major agency will start thinking about too, right? More of a people-centered approach versus the medical model. Great. Well, we're going to pick up on the idea of solutions at our next podcast, maybe the next couple of podcasts as we get into the idea of entrepreneurship as uh, solutions and alternatives to what we've been hearing about. So um, stay tuned for that coming up in our next couple of episodes.
Triple Vision is made possible by the generous support of Alliant, A-L-L-Y-A-N-T, and the Alliance for Equality of Blind Canadians, A-E-B-C. Triple Vision is produced in collaboration with Accessible Media Inc., AMI-audio. Jacob Shemansky is the technical producer, and Andy Frank is the manager of AMI-audio. And finally, thank you for joining us on this journey. If you would like to reach out to Triple Vision with questions or comments, you can email us at triplevision21 at gmail.com or reach us on Twitter at triplevision21. Hi, I'm Red Sale, the host of My Life in Books on AMI-audio. Join me on Mondays at 1pm Eastern Time as I chat with a selection of renowned authors to read between the lines of their latest work, riffle through their back pages, and discover which books inspired them to pick up the pen. That's My Life in Books with me, Red Sale, Mondays at 1pm Eastern Time on AMI-audio or download the podcast from your favourite provider.